Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. How are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? Look, can I just say, I'm glad we went ourselves with the koala. <laughs> Interesting work when I talk about burnout today, and I just thought I'd bring the burnout book along yeah, with you. We are not sponsored. We're not sponsored by the book, but we'll, we'll talk about that later on. I thought I'd just chat with you a little bit before we start. One of the things that distresses me at the moment with my media feed is it's filled with the Lehman Brittany Higgins issues. That's terrible in itself. The evidence we know and we all know it is. I'm not saying who's right or wrong or whether a crime has been committed is there isn't a person who doesn't understand she has precarious mental health yeah. and has contemplated taking her life. And we're not going to spend time on this for the same reason. What distresses me greatly is what's going on in Parliament at the moment where it's becoming a political exercise yeah. when they know that each time they say something they're hurting someone. And there is no win. Like, there's not a, there's not a game in it. It is just yeah, points scoring. Everyone's just losers in this, yeah. Yeah, but I think, you know, we all need to reflect just for a moment if we can. When we're aware of someone's vulnerable health, physical or mental health, we don't go and do things which we know will harm someone further. Our first rule in any workplace is do no harm. And what strikes me about Parliament is, despite that lesson being learned over and over again, secure jobs, remember, was started because of parliamentary misbehaviour at Parliament. Yeah. Is once again we see this appalling behaviour in the knowledge that what they are doing has not, will not affect the outcome for the two people concerned. It will not make one iota of difference in who votes for who. It is just hurting and trying to score a point across somebody else and yet they know they're damaging this woman at the end of it. Whether, whether what she says is true or not, we know one thing about it that is true and that is a health vote. It is a shameful thing that we live in an environment where people think that's okay. Yeah, and it continues to happen as well. It doesn't seem like it's slowing down anytime soon. No, and look, we see it in politics, but we increasingly see in social media this willingness to agitate and share issues where people are harmed and then have a discussion around it, knowing that the nature of what they're communicating harms somebody. I don't know people who do that. That's You know, I keep those people out of my life yeah. deliberately, but it is what it is. I think it's really interesting when we look at workplaces where we're doing investigations, where we're looking into behaviour that's wrong, why the responsibilities of confidentiality are so high and why we as lawyers constantly say, please respect this, please make sure people understand because it doesn't matter whether an allegation has been proven or not. Before you get there, you can harm someone. And that's why confidentiality sits around investigations of any form of serious misconduct and why it must be honoured by you as employers because you know if you don't, you will harm someone and you also know it will damage your business, your reputation and more importantly for some people, you will absolutely undermine your productivity and quality of what you do. So there's no upside in participating in a cycle of gossip. That said, that's probably enough of my lecture for today, isn't it, really? (laughs) We've seen some interesting cases today and I thought that Fair Work work Ombudsman and RECA is a really interesting case Mm -hmm where a compliance notice was issued by the Fair Work Ombudsman basically saying, did you pay this person JobKeeper or not, which was not complied with. Yeah, it was it's an interesting reminder because if you've ever received a Fair Work Ombudsman compliance notice, it says very clearly, look, this is not a confirmed breach. It is just asking you to look into it and rectify it. So sometimes people can have mistaken understanding that you don't have to address it but this case shows that you cannot ignore it and in this case 
the employer deliberately ignored it and it was the second one he did. So got fined $26,000 and the director was personally fined $5,000. Yeah, which is 80% of the maximum fine. Yeah. I, I think the important thing is the Fair Work Ombudsman has prosecutorial, I can't say this, prosecutorial <laughs> guidelines. That was good. <laughs> better the second time, yeah. I should drink more. And the, the importance of that is to understand that the Fair Work Ombudsman commonly just asks you to fix things hmm. without prosecuting. Commonly yeah. says, look, this has been raised, I don't know it, you go and fix it, everything's going to be okay. You know, if you get a get a warning like that from the Fair Work Ombudsman, take it because if they come in and audit and find it's broader, so it's not just the fine that's the risk, if they come in and audit and understand the vice that is complained of is broader, yeah. then you're off to the federal court and you're in really serious trouble. So please, when you get these compliance notices, I, I guess this is a bit of a plea from both of us, when yeah. you get them, act on them, act on them straight away and try and stay close to the Fair Work Ombudsman rather than treat them as the enemy because they're actually being generous to you. They don't have to do this. Yeah, and even if, say, it's incorrect because of, I don't know, for whatever reason, don't ignore it you, by talking to them that is addressing it so you're not in breach of your obligations. No, no, pretty good. Let's go on to Debus and Condra Energy, which is a classic story of trying to a business trying to settle a claim which had no merit. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because it was to do with a vexatious employee, so an accountant who'd been terminated. Can I just say, when we talk about vexatious, that somebody repeatedly makes claims that are unfounded. Okay? Yeah. Just to, to give yeah. it context. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were terminated within three months probation for conduct issues and having a negative attitude. And he alleged, you know, his actual termination was because of his mental um, disability and he had Asperger's and had a significant history of mental illness but no one in the company knew of that and they told him so repeatedly through two Calder Bank offers first one which was just to walk away yeah. he so Calder Bank is a, yeah. is a case sorry I'm, I'm oh, Calder Bank is like translator. <laughs> I'm going to translate today when you put a Calder Bank it's called Calder Bank and Calder Bank is the name of the case which says if once proceedings have been started I issue with a letter setting out the facts which we will succeed upon and then offering a sum of money or whatever to resolve the matter and you get that sum of money or less in the final decision. There is a discretion in the court or the commission to order costs. Yep. And I think the interesting part of this case is there were two called bank letters, two offers of compromise, one a better yep. expression. The one, the last one offered $5,000, yeah. which was equivalent to the type of costs associated the time of offer. So if the person had have accepted it that would have, and and taken the five thousand dollars, that's a recognition of where they would have been in costs and expenses. Yeah, but I think the court said it didn't even need to get to the second one. The first one, even though it had no monetary amount and just asked people to walk away, was reasonable in itself because it made it very clear he had no chance of succeeding because no one was aware of his disability. And his quick response to it, I think it was like 15 minutes or so, yeah. rejecting it meant that he didn't give And he um, went ahead to say, no, he wants his day in court, that he was, yeah. that he, I guess Vanina and I, and I'm speaking on your behalf, he'd be really careful on offers of compromise or called banks in the sense that try and make sure there are very rare occasions where a claim is what's described as genuinely vexatious. That is where every element that a person alleges you can demonstrate is not true and the person knows it not to be true. Yeah. Okay, so it is an act of dishonesty to prosecute it further. At that stage, walking away with each party bearing its costs 
is a reasonable offer, but that is one in a million, okay? Mm. Normally, most claims have some element of truth that sits within it, and you may succeed against them, you may succeed against them absolutely, but if the decision doesn't say that this was dishonest and vexatious, then the failure to put a money amount within that settlement offer will be fatal for you and you will run a claim thinking you have an insurance policy in what's called a call-to-bank letter, whereas, in fact, if it didn't cover the person's reasonable legal costs at the time of you making the offer, then it would never succeed. Even if the person is unrepresented, yeah. it would not succeed because it's discretionary and the court would go, well, you've offered nothing and there was not, there is stuff here which I found was true. Yeah, because the test to find out whether it's vexatious or not is whether it would have been reasonable or not for them to accept it. And so if the monetary amount reflected very generously and more than covered their fees, then the rejection would meet the test under Section 570. Okay. So look, just some interesting stuff. I thought it's an interesting case because we often have this discussion. The client mm. says, but it's all rubbish. I don't want to pay. I totally agree with you. But the answer is, what are you actually trying to do? If the person's a difficult person, they won't accept the offer anyway. Yeah. But what you have done is created some insurance at the back end. Now, the next question is, does the person have a capacity to pay? Well, bankruptcy proceedings, there's a whole lot of things you can take after that if you're feeling aggrieved. The most important thing is to push some responsibility onto them yeah. to be sensible about what they do. Yeah. It's still up to the discretion of the court, but it just gives you better chances if it comes to cost hearing. Let's go on to Betts' case. This is a New South Wales case, and it is distinct to New South Wales because under their workers' comp legislation, yeah. Section 241, even after you terminate somebody because they are not fit for the inherent requirements, and in New South Wales that's, that's after six months, here that period is 12 months. Remember, there's massive premium costs of doing that, so you need to think about it, just saying it. But this time, the complainant did have a successful claim, settled their common law claim, and when... And two I'm, years later. I'm not being cynical, <laughs> by the way, and once all that was done, then said they were fit to return to work and applied for reinstatement. Mm -hmm. And a problem was that she had probably psychological issues and a drinking problem. And the first time it came up, they said, no, no, there's not sufficient evidence that drinking is still not a problem. So she reapplied in 12 months' time and was successful because the court said got 15 months, whatever it was, of being dry. There is now nothing stopping her reinstatement and there's no reason we shouldn't reinstate her. Yeah, I think the medical evidence found that there was still a possibility of re-aggravating her mental condition, but that was outweighed by the benefits of reinstating her. So, look, I want you to be very careful this idea of terminating somebody who is on workers' compensation. So the obligation period, as I said, are here and in Queensland is 12 months. New South Wales, six months. Remember, if you've got any sort of premium when you do that, what you're effectively saying is for the next two more years of premium sensitivity in Victoria or four, four years in New South Wales and Queensland, the person's not fit for work, blows your premium through the roof. But if your decision is, look, we've got to do it, we can afford to do it and we want to do it, understand in New South Wales that may not be the end of it. Yeah. Okay, so when you're looking at termination, you're looking at something where a person is permanently disabled, not where a person is subject to a disability which is not permanent in nature because they will reapply for reinstatement and the test is not hard to achieve. Not only that, they don't have to get reinstatement to their original job, they can get it to a lesser job. So there's just some, thing, warning, there's really. some warnings in there somewhere, wasn't there? Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk to your next case, really simple case, this one, which is Colorock 
Cholera up was a medical negligence claim. This was a shit claim that should never have been run and got up at first instance. Yeah, it was a uh, This was where somebody had an accident on the way home from work and it was argued, which is an absolute nonsense, there should have been an assessment of the person's fatigue for driving in their own time. And that they had to create a travel plan of how they were to get yeah, home. Yeah, so I suppose the greatest surprise is to exceed the first instance. $1.1 million fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not fine, civil But yeah. the Court of Appeal nearly fell over himself laughing and said, how could this ever be a reasonable quest for a non-work-related issue and how would it ever be undertaken in any event? We've only done this because I just want to show, explain to you negligence, the fatal look after someone has some cost risk, even if it's nonsense. So if you see someone fatigued and they're about to drive home, please intervene. Yeah. Just like you would if you saw them drinking, yeah. please intervene. But this case demonstrates that, that the obligation for what someone does in an unobserved risk sense can never be negligent. It's only when you had positive evidence, Nina's fatigued and she's about to go home, I should say, Nina, can I stick you in a taxi? So when you see the risk or when the organisation has taken to know the risk, you yeah. must act about their journey or what yeah. they're doing. From or people who've got a history of getting into traffic accidents, then you know that there's more likelihood to you have to put more controls in place. Yeah, okay. So look, really simple case, but it, it is an important issue because we often talk about someone's capacity to undertake work. So what is their, their pre-work capacity, testing for alcohol, testing for drugs, checking on fatigue, mm -hmm. checking on their physical ability to do it. Can I just say the case is not wrong about one thing, and that is when you are placed on notice that a person is at risk when they leave your work site, it's not a work employee obligation. It is a common law duty of care responsibility. Yep. You do have a duty. It's not too remote. You are aware of the risk, so there's reasonable foreseeability and there's breach and there is damage. That's negligence. But it's not workers' comp. It's not the common law claims that come out of the workplace. It's a slightly different common law breach. Yep. Well, let's talk about burnout. Yeah. God, if any two people could talk about it, but you and I. <laughs> I thought I'd give you the World Health Organization definition and then we'll get into the practical effects. It is three things, feeling of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job and decreased professional efficiency. Great book, not our sponsor. Can I just say this is a pretty first world problem in some ways in the sense that there are people around the world who don't know this is burnout and who struggle every day with these things. But the reality is since COVID particularly, the level of disruption and uncertainty that's hit our life has meant that people feel significantly more challenged. Now, you can look at Arthur, you can look at Clarkson, who's the Hawthorne coach, you can look at the Richmond coach, they've just gone, I can't take it anymore. Well, they've got media glare, they've got all sorts of allegations made against one of them. They are exceptional circumstances. I don't want us to talk about that burnout because that has always existed. Yeah. It's come under a number of different names over time and it's often confused with depression and anxiety or just simply being so hurt by the levels of pressure. But the fact is all of us at work have this risk of suddenly feeling a sense of loss of energy, yeah. particularly where work is unrewarding, relentless, there's no reward coming from it, there seems to be no end to it, there's no safe place in it all. Yeah. You then suddenly wake up one morning going, actually... Not too keen about going to work. You see this with young kids that had trouble at school, not wanting to go to school. It's like that. But then their skills start to drop away. And as their skills drop away, so does your self-esteem. Yep. And the cycle grows faster and faster. Now, that's that's what burnout is. And I, it happens more commonly than 
people think. Well, I think you said it happened to me. You know, I lost right. an uncle who was very close to me, yeah. but we were busy. And I, I actually was really struggling for two or three days to do any work. And Nina and the team got behind and gave me a bit of space and said, Nina actually said to me, look, you are struggling, you need to step back. And so let's talk about that for me so we can actually extrapolate it to other people. The answer for me and the answer throughout this book is to reflect what is it that is causing the impact upon me? Mm. Is it the way, and this is a way of looking at psychological yeah, hazards. It, it basically comes out psychological hazards. Is it the flow of work I get? Is the volume of work? It is the, it is the skill base? It's the lack of support. Or is it the lack of reward and recognition? Yeah. Am I treated differently than others? Yeah. And I just want to say lack of reward and recognition isn't just monetary. It can be things like people just acknowledging the effort that you put in. And when you don't and you feel like you're just kind of behind a wall plugging away but no one recognises it, it really builds And what you're doing doesn't matter. Yeah. Then it really does knock you around. And when everyone's busy around you, you've got your head down, your tail up, you're not thinking as a leader, my need to reward and say to people, look, that was a great job, Nina. And equally, Nina's busy and she's not saying, Andrew, God, that was great, we got that out last mm-hmm. night. You're just trying to get it done. Yeah. So look, we sort of know what it is, okay? It's those three things. And what I want to say, and I don't have any data and the book doesn't give any data, <laughs> what it does say that it is an escalating problem. Oh, yeah. It's driven by a sense of a lack of safety in work, a predictability and understanding of what tomorrow will look like, and COVID well. shook people up in such a way yeah. that they've not been able to get it back. So I want you to understand it is prevalent in your workplace, one. Two, what do I do about it? Well, the first thing is I need to collect a bit of evidence about how people are feeling because waiting for it to happen is fatal. You know, when yeah, it, then it's too late. Yeah, when it, when I started to get like this, I had Nina intervened and I did. I stepped back for half a day and just went, no, I need to grieve my uncle. I need to stop work yeah. for a day and I need to just spend time with myself. And it was some of the, and I mean, I'm very incredibly thankful that Nina raised it. But I had to reflect about what were the pressures that were hitting me and was it reasonable for me to do things in relation to some of those pressures? The grief was part of what I was saying, so it was very reasonable for me to do it. But as a leader, you've got to go on that evidence, okay? You've got to be monitoring people's health because that's your obligation. Yeah. You've got to look at the types of hazards that are around. And the most important thing is you've got to have a relationship. Yeah, because most of the time when people are in those stages and are suffering from burnout, they themselves will not recognise it until it's too late. No, no, and they feel they've got to keep going. Yeah, and so that's why the relationship is important because you can notice changes in behaviour, you can notice someone looks a little bit flat and hear tonal shifts and things like that, which are all such important indicators. So we've got the first part, which is what is the evidence? Second, in relationship terms in monitoring health, can you see those hazards? Mm. Only if you've got a relationship where you notice those changes that are occurring. Those changes are really observable. That You actually see tiredness in people. Mm. You'll see people throw their hands up. They seem despairing. They seem like this will never stop. Yeah, they say things are just okay. Yeah, Yeah. but you also see their professional performance drop away and yeah. that is the test. We Things will start slipping. Yeah. So there you've got your yeah. hazard identification process. But the answer is what are the controls? These are really straightforward. The most important thing is to save the person, let's stop and look at what are the things that are impacting you. Let's listen. Because we know in workers' comp claims, psychological claims, 70% is external. Yeah. In privacy terms, I'm allowed to say to Nina, Nina, what outside of work, where do you feel the stresses are? 
I'm planning to get married and I can't choose the right venue. <laughs> Sorry, it was just a joke. Okay, but to get them down and say, look, can we weigh these out of 10? Yeah. Level of impact on each one, you know, the venue, oh, it's frustrating but it's fine. Okay. Yeah, and how can I help you? Yeah, and each yeah. one go, well, like, can I do something about that? Well, are you going to have a chat with your family to work out and give someone else some of that responsibility? Does it have to be you? Yeah, call your venue guy. Yeah, you? you call your venue guy. <laughs> but when it deals with work, you know, talk to them about workflow. Tell me the nature of the work you're getting. Are there issues about that work which is creating particular impact? Look, it's just relentless. Okay. What do you need to take that sense of relentlessness away? Do you need a couple of days off? Sounds like an easy, too easy. But actually, for me, when Nina suggests, it was half a day of turning my phone off. And in that time, I shed a few tears. I sat alone for a while and I could actually feel myself healing inside as I went through it. You saved time. But you do need to listen. Secondly, okay, you tell me what you're getting in workflow. Actually, I can control and adjust some of that. And actually, what you've done is amazing. You then go back to that reward and recognition and say, actually, I had no understanding of how much work was sitting in front of you nor of what was coming towards you, and that was the major impact because you, you've rated that 10 as being the biggest issue. But if you don't risk-rate what are the inputs towards burnout, yeah. you then can't even begin the control. And make, or make a plan. So rules, one, give the person a place of safe reflection. Two, risk-rate the inputs that are leading towards that, be open and safe in that discussion and not punitive. Reward the achievements that have been achieved, mm -hmm. for be honest about the impact it's having on the person and their work and that you're not judging them for that. Yeah, but that is point. the hazard you've identified that's driving the change. And as Nina said, people crave certainty. Create a plan, which is a first iteration, and say, let's give this a go for a couple of days. Let's come back. Let's look at where the risk rating has gone yep. and go back and redo it. And remember in burnout, if we get it early enough with me, half a day to a day, mm -hmm. but for some people it's going to be a week, two weeks, and for some people actually the work they do is not in a safe working environment and the continuation of their work will not be safe. And, and that is a, them. quite a different discussion, but it's one you need to have. Yeah. So you can read books like this. You can read all <laughs> the latest data on it. What I do want to say is they're the five key steps. They cost you nothing. Yeah. This is not a thing of sending someone off to a psychologist. It's not a question of saying, have they got depression, have they not? It is actually making sure the person feels listened to and that you walk out the back end with an understanding for them that you care about them, that you're getting in behind them and that you both have a plan, that you both have responsibilities and working on. It works. I can tell you I'm an example of it. It works. We all have had it one time or another and it really does work and it's really important because we are seeing trends like even just if I speak to my friends you know clients things like that you can see everyone's getting tired and worn out so it's out there and it's it's silent but it's out there and you need to address it yeah and if you do address it you build an enormous story around who you are as an organization and a people which is a brand but most of all you stop harm and yeah. you know starting at the beginning of our conversation today our obligations as employers is to stop harm. Yeah. We are moral people. We don't hurt people. Right, let's go on to our case study. Uh, we better rush. We better rush our case study. <laughs> up we go. Donna was not easy to work with. She was opinionated and often rude. Cedric was the boss. He put up with it because she was the only one of his staff who could use the duct flanging machine. Flanging. Flanging. No, i put machine. these in for you. Oh, God. <laughs> the Broadmeadows factory of shops. 
sheet metals, PGY, LTD. On the sheet metal rolling line, there were four plant operators. Multi-skilling had moved three of the four, Donald was the fourth up to a higher classification. But Donna's attempts at training others were not successful. All complained it was Donna's manner. Donna, the ex-wife of the production manager, Jim, received a bump in classifications when she was married to Jim four years ago. Even with the multi-skilling jump for the others, there remained one classification level beneath Donna who was not multi-skilled. Cedric observed Donna upgrade. Upgrade, that's right, yeah. Oh, the plant tell operator. someone off, upgrade. I've, oh, I've got a whole lot of words just for you. This is that. very, very obscure. Uh, the plant <laughs> operator on the metal fabricator. Donna called her a dumb, yeah, and <laughs> a stupid mole. Donna alleged that Sharon had tried to crack on to Donna's new boyfriend after work drinks. When Sharon tried to walk away and say it wasn't true, Donna ran at her, grabbed her by her arm and swung her around to face her, then spat in her face. Sharon ran off crying. Wow, Andrew. <laughs> 20 minutes later, Sharon came up to Cedric and said, you saw that, what are you going to do? She's crazy and it is not safe to work with her. Cedric said he will not get involved in the personal disputes between the two women. Sharon complained to the owner, Wendy. Wendy had known for a long time of Donna's issues. She didn't intervene out of deference to Jim. She told Cedric to have a word with Donna. Cedric did. It didn't go down well. It gets worse. When Sharon returned to work three days later, Donna came up to her, hit her in the face with a clenched fist, swore at her and told her to never come back. Sharon left work, went straight to hospital, where an X-ray revealed a compressed fracture of her cheekbone and never came back to work. Wendy, upon learning about the incident, summarily terminated Donna's employment. There you go. What a great story that was, yeah. All right. One, could Donna say the dismissal was harsh and unreasonable because of the past condemnation and provocation of believing Sharon had sex with a boyfriend? Look, I think condemnation is an issue, but she assaulted someone else. Yeah, so, so that's the, immediate Can I just can I say to you, so if it was just repeated bad behaviour, the yeah. condemnation, which means you can't punish what you... Permit. permit, basically, but courts and commissions will not allow violence and they will yeah. push aside condemnation. So, no, she would not succeed in her claim. Donna did bring an unfair dismissal claim. Um, SS put in a letter of settlement offering to walk away with no payment. Donna laughed at the offer and rejected it. SS succeeded at the hearing and Donna was not reinstated and there was no award of compensation. Will Donna have to pay SS's legal costs? That's the sheet metal business. Yeah. What do you reckon? Look. No chance. I don't think, yeah, yeah because they it wasn't enough of a case to say it was wholly vexatious to bring. Oh, no, I think she, you know, Donna has an argument around condemnation. Mm -hmm. Donna does have a bit of an argument and provocation. She's got no mm -hmm. past priors. Yeah. So there's a bit of harshness there. You would have to offer money to get that across the table and you'd have to offer sort of five to ten grand to make that stick and even yeah. then you'd struggle with it a bit. Three, was Sharon's injury notifiable? She left work bleeding from the nose and said she was going to the hospital and sent back the emergency doctor's workers' comp certificate of capacity saying she had a fractured cheekbone. So was it notifiable? Yeah, if you go to hospital, it's notifiable. Yeah, done. Thanks. I just wanted to get that one in. Nice <laughs> quick. Was Donna's behaviour bullying? Towards Sharon? Yes. Bullying's going to be repeated behaviour. I think there was repeated. This is a history of it. Assuming there was other behaviour. If there was other behaviour, but it only seems like this was the first incident and the second incident. Yeah, yeah. So let's assume there was past it was repeated. harassment. Yeah, hurt, harm or humiliate, second element. Yeah. Three, made that unsafe for work. Yeah. I think it probably was. Even with the two, because of the exceptional nature of both, you'd probably get the repeated in there. Five, could SS, Wendy, Jim and Cedric be charged under safety law? If so, under what provisions and what penalty 
if any, would they be liable for? And I'm looking at the time. I don't have a lot of time. Yeah, SS definitely has a primary duty breach. Um, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. That's for all the psychological hazards of differential treatment. Yeah. Allowing bad behaviour, allowing harassing behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, and the section one four four for Wendy because she knew about the past. Yeah. So she's an officer and therefore had both knowledge of the past and also the capacity to influence. Yeah. So she has a primary duty breach. Wendy's is probably a bit worse. So Wendy is looking at reckless endangerment because she was she deliberately took no action based on the knowledge of Jim. Yeah. And that means that SS probably has reckless endangerment running at it as well, but more than likely both primary duty breaches. Jim, I think, <laughs> I think Jim's just an unlucky soul caught in the middle. I don't think he's going to be charged with anything. Yeah. But Cedric is in deep shit. Yeah, because he didn't do enough. It, well, he didn't do yeah. anything, really. And when he did do something, he knew it didn't work. Yeah. So he's probably going to be a Section 25 breach, which is, and, and, and a risk of reckless endangerment. My gut feeling is all primary duty breaches, total cost for everyone involved, probably three to $400,000 in penalties. But if it's reckless endangerment... Jail. Yeah, well, jail, but certainly fines would be in seven or $800,000. SS had a remuneration of $7.5 million in a manufacturing classification at a premium before the incident of $420,000. What would be the impact of the premium over the life of the premium sensitivity based on the 75% and lift in the manufacturing classification, I think you're going to look at around about 300,000 one year. You're going to look at around about, which will bring up to about 750. So the risk for here is around about a million dollars in wow. premium impact by not doing anything. So there you go, guys. That's yeah. it. Thanks, Diana. Thank it's lovely to have you back. Yeah. yeah, we need thumbs up. We're both a bit tired. We're not yeah. quite sure <laughs> that. There's the book. Okay. Yeah. Give us a thumbs up. Thank you. See you Bye. later. Bye-bye.